to the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. The best and brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes. We'll talk to them all and we'll get the good, the bad, and the ugly on how they made it. Decoding the secrets of success. Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Unveiling the paths to success. And now your host, Terry Barr. All right, we're at it again. We're here with a a very special guest. This is a local businesswoman here in our area in the central Pennsylvania area. So welcome to Grind to Growth to Greatness. We're going to dig into this business owner, this woman's past. How did she get to where she is? And if you've listened to any of our other episodes, you know we try to find the grit behind the grind. What is the underlying story? How did she go from where she started to where she is now and where does she go in the future. So we're really excited to have her. Her name is Sue Para. You folks know her. She's the owner of Cornerstone Coffee House with her husband, Al. And what a pair. They've been here for 25 years and we're going to dig into their past a little bit and how they started and really talk about their mindset as they went through the last few years and how they got from a couple looking to do something special to where they are, a pillar of the community, a place where people go. As she says, they go to cry, they go to be happy, they go to have a place to connect with others. And I think that's wonderful. And I've spent probably the better part of my adult life coming here. And so it's got a neat connection for me. So Sue, welcome into the podcast. Thanks for being here. Thank you, Terry. It's lovely. (laughs) It's lovely. We're all set up in her kitchen back in the back. But so, Sue, I really want to dig in quickly. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time. I know your time is valuable. You do a lot of things here at the the coffee house. You do some catering. So you're always in the back doing stuff. But tell me about your family. Tell me where you were born. Where'd you grow up? I don't know what year you were born. Don't need to know, but I know your birthday's coming up. <laughs> it uh, is. February 1st. So uh, tell me about your family. Tell me where sure, you grew up. Sure, I'd love to. Well, I love my family, so I could talk about them a lot. So it's funny. I was born in Allentown, Pennsylvania, but we moved to Camp Hill, Pennsylvania back in 1959. And... I actually lived about two and a half blocks from where we are sitting right now. So it's sort of serendipitous, nothing that was planned, but here we are, my owning a business here. But my mother was a stay-at-home mother, but very, very active with charities, philanthropy, volunteering, school board. She eventually ended her career as the chair of the Cumberland County Commissioners, So much of me is so much of her and her tenacity and, you know, her grit. And people just so totally respected my mother. She was a force and continues to be a force to be reckoned with. Yeah. And she lives two blocks from here. Two blocks. Still still here. Yes. No, she's incredible. She has a better memory than any of her children. She likes to tell you about it, too. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, right. And my father, who I'm just going to say this, people know this about me. I feel as though I really took after dad in a lot of ways that have made me successful here at Cornerstone. 
My philanthropy community life really comes from my mother, but my salesmanship came from my father, who was a salesman. He was a broker for health and beauty aids, and he had his largest account here in this area, which made us stay in this area, is right, was Rite Aid. Anyway, he is truly the love of my life. And he passed away almost nine years ago. And um, I miss him all the time. But boy, he was he was an amazing person. Everyone loved Earl Besh. Everyone. 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 Well, it's nice. It's nice to hear that. And it seems to be a growing uh, theme with a lot of my podcasts, you know, that uh, your history and your parents and and the environment you grow up in, the business you grow up in, seem to shape individuals' lives along mm-hmm. the way. And then they become who they are as a result of some of that. And then they they add on to it and they they pass that down to their kids and what have you. So mm-hmm. it's nice to hear about your parents. And and I, I see, I don't know your mom or your father, but mm-hmm. I can see when you tell me about them, I can see them in you. Because oh, you're a people person. Yeah. You have to be in a business yep. of sales. You have to be able to to connect with those. And you know it. Even before you walked in here, you were at a table saying hi and you were connecting with the people mm-hmm. out in the coffee shop. And we often see you make your way around to the tables when I'm here and you're here mm-hmm. at the same time. So, and then of course, you're very involved in Camp Hill. I don't know about politics, but I know you're involved in a lot of different things. And I guess that's your mom mm-hmm. coming out, mm-hmm. you know, that, hey, yep. it's good to be involved. It's good to meet people. Those kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Do you have any siblings? Any- I do. Oh, oh my God. I love them. Yeah. My brother, he is older than I am. And then I have another sister, Kathy. Sorry, Don is my brother's name. <laughs> and Kathy, who's uh, just two years older than me. I love saying that, though. <laughs> and then I have a younger sister who is 12 years younger. And I fondly refer to her as the mistake. As the mistake. <laughs> She's later in years. Mom and dad. So we yeah, right. Mom. Right. Her name is Diane. And gotcha. Diane and Kathy live close to here. They live right in the area. As a matter of fact, my sister Kathy lives in the home I grew up in. Oh, how about that? And uh, my brother, who was never near to us, now lives outside of Philadelphia. So it's lovely to have him there after 55 years of him being away. It was great. Close. Great. Okay. Yeah. It, yeah we're very to see him over the holidays. Uh, we did. Okay. Yeah. We had a great That's time. Yep. Yeah, with his children and grandchildren. It was great. Morning. Yeah. We're a good family. So growing up, you went to high school around here? I went to Camp Hill High School. Camp Hill High School. Yeah. You are native born, <laughs> native bred here in Camp Native Hill. bred. Yeah. Yeah. And tell me about if you can remember, you know, part mm. of part of what we talk about in my podcast is what is your mindset as a kid, as a young lady growing up? Back uh-huh. in the fifties, fifties uh-huh. and sixties, sixties, yeah. you know, things were different then. Mm-hmm. Tell me about what your mindset was as a young woman back then. And mm-hmm. let's say high school, college, whatever. What was your goal in life? Mm-hmm. Like, what, mm-hmm. what did you think about as a woman in America mm-hmm. in the late fifties and sixties? What, what was your goal? What were some of the mm-hmm. things that really drove you to where you're at today? Mm-hmm. So, you know, when I was growing up here in Camp Hill and going to elementary through high school here. I was a good student. I wasn't the best student, but I always, you know, at that time frame in the 60s, it was just starting to be that women were out there. You know, women were starting to join the workforce, not just as a teacher or a nurse. Mm -hmm. So, I remember not thinking that I would aspire to be what I do today, Mm -hmm. But I was very much a force 
mostly because of my personality. Mm-hmm. And I had leadership qualities at a young age. And those formative years growing up here in Camp Hill were, you know, some of the best. I, I loved it. In your formative days, like you were saying, you were a force. Were you involved mm-hmm. in some of the general things that happened hi- in high school and in the community at that point? Were you seeing yourself get involved and step mm-hmm. up? Yes. Step up yes. And- yes, exactly. As I, you know, mentioned leadership qualities, I, I was the cheerleader, you know, the head cheerleader. I was secretary of the class. I was in a lot of different organizations through the school district. Mm-hmm. When they need volunteers for something, I was always the first one up there, one of the first. Just knowing where my qualities lie, that's where I knew they they were. Is that something your mom and dad really encouraged you to do then as well? Uh, seeing them mm-hmm. really involved, mm-hmm. they were passively encouraging you, mm-hmm. but were they actively saying, hey, you need to go do that. You need to jump into that that role, you know, as a young woman, if you want to do what you want to do when you get. You know, it's interesting. They helped to guide me. Mm-hmm. I can't say that they said, hey, Sue, we want you to, you know, be an editor of the newspaper mm-hmm. or anything like that. But it's certainly because of them, you know, we're formed by who brought us up. At least, you know, most of us have Partially, been. yeah. Yeah, partially. And so they didn't say I should do it, but they certainly encouraged me to be involved. Right. And in particular, my my mother was a stay-at-home mom, as I said. So just seeing her being involved and seeing her, what she did to volunteer, we, you know, many times at lunch, we would come home because Camp Hill still has sure. a go home. Best school in the area. Like yeah. That, right. Yeah. <laughs> and we'd go home and there would be somebody, some strange person sitting at our table and it was somebody who needed food and she would help some organizations and bring people to our homes so that she, you know, they could join lunch with us and we'd go and pick up people from the local cerebral palsy center and so I always knew that was just part of my life part of your life. and knew that that was part of what I would probably be guided to do. And my father was just the nicest guy. So, <laughs> yeah, well, he, I'm sure he went along with a lot of things that mom wanted to do. What she was yes, involved with. Yes, yes, yes. Certainly like he was very loving, supporting Ugh. dad and husband. Amazing. Yeah. 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 So you went through high school, you started to get involved, you decided to go to Penn State. Was that initial? <laughs> that was where I'm going. I think you got a degree in sociology and political science. And that, <laughs> you know, at that point was some of the things that you were seeing along the way in high school to that point, to that degree, those degrees or? Yeah. That's what really excited you. Uh, so a lot of it pointed me to that degree. Again, as I said earlier, I wasn't the brightest kid in the class, but I was one of the better students, but I didn't choose like a chemistry career or or anything like that. What I always wanted to do, I was so compassionate about people and people who did not have what I had. And even growing up here, I mean, I didn't grow up with a lot. We were very, very middle class. And I, you know, started working when I was 14 years old just to be able to buy my clothes or get some makeup. So I always had this compassionate soul for people and wanted to help them. So, you know, I, I thought I'll be a social worker. Right. And when I did graduate from Penn State, I found out that they didn't pay a lot yeah. in that area. And they still don't, sadly. Mm-hmm. But it was something that I felt very strongly about. I did not 
pursue it because I did not want to stay in school beyond the four years I was there. And so tell me about that. Tell me about what happened in year four. We graduated. I don't uh want to be in school anymore. What direction were you mentally going at that point? Oh boy, at that, at that point, I mean, I was pretty solid by then. When I, and just- the, Late 70s, early, when did you- Yeah, yeah. mid 70s. Yeah, so you're mid to late. 70s, yeah. 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 Okay. So just to clarify one thing, I did my first two years. I went to University of Kentucky. Okay. Go wild cows, right? And um, it was because my brother went there. So Not I went good. there, but I ended up taking a year off from Kentucky and then went to Penn State a year later. And that one year that I did take off, yeah. a gap year, let's call it. Let's call it a gap. Yeah. So that one year really had me grow up a lot. I lived at home. I started working two different jobs. I really started to become a little bit more self-sufficient. And I remember turning 21 at that point. And I just, I felt like I was here on one end and all of a sudden I flipped over to somebody who I started to admire my mother and father right, right. and realized that, you know, they had some pretty good things going there. Yeah. Yeah. That happens to yeah. kids. Yeah. Uh, that happens at different times of their lives. That uh, doesn't always happen at 21, but it sounds like that gap year was a pretty good thing for you because it really, it really gave you some direction and what have you. And it probably gave you, gave you the idea that I can't make a lot of money in sociology. I need to figure out what I want to do. What did you come to at that point? Well, so I was still at that gap year. I wasn't back in school again, but I did know that I never wanted to be a secretary because that's what I was doing. And I was probably one of the worst, but my father's friend hired me. (laughs) But then I went to Penn State, Penn State Harrisburg, and lived at home again for another two years. And once I graduated from Penn State, knowing that I didn't want to go any, you know, didn't want to take, get my master's in social work, which you really need, especially, you know, now. And they still don't pay much. And they still don't pay much. But my father suggested, you know, some. he was a broker, as I mentioned, in sales. And he suggested that I talk to someone who was a broker for Rite Aid also in cosmetics. And so I took this job with a company who's still out there called Almay Cosmetics. And that truly gave me such a period of time of like two to three years where I traveled around Central PA, Northern PA, down to DC, down to Baltimore, had a company car. It really made me independent. I got an apartment. You know, I was very focused on being independent. And that's part of my parents' upbringing. It's not that they were there to tell me I had to leave the house, but I wanted to leave. I was ready to leave. I was 23. And I started winning a lot of awards (laughs) in this job. And then I'd travel, you know, to Hawaii or I'd travel to England or whatever. And it was just a great time in my life. And Sounds like the world opened up to you. It definitely point. did. It's amazing how it happens, yeah. Terry. Yep. I think, and I think on the, you know, the other side of that coin is a lot of folks, and I, and I would consider myself one of those. I didn't start, the world didn't open up to me until late, late in life, mm-hmm. knowing that there were other things out there. There were other opportunities out there. There were other vocations. I could fail and still get up. I could do something for a while. And, it, and if it didn't work out, I could do something else. Wow. Uh, that's, that's a novel idea. 
and nothing against, you know, the majority of the people that work in the world are people that do the same job for 30 or 40 or 50 years and, and they retire and, and that's what they do. And that, and we need those folks. But for me, it was, it was later in life. I got married. I had, you know, I had restaurants that I worked for 15 years and that was, that was an education in itself. As you know, this business is an education uh, if you, if you let it, if you're in it long enough. So during that period of time, it sounds like you were, you know, the world opened up a little bit and you were doing well in sales. Why didn't you stay in sales? And how did that sales job prepare you for the next step? So I got married, not to Al, but to someone else. Mm. And we moved to Illinois, you know, my job. I tried to get the job with Al made there. I couldn't. So we lived out there for about a year and came back this way again. Mm -hmm. And the man who then became my husband, he was good friends with my first husband. When I came back here from Illinois with my first husband, I began to work in the computer area in IT. Oh, okay. And I worked for a company that was owned by Exxon Oil Mm -hmm. called Videc. And we sold word processing machines. Okay. So I became very involved with IT at the time, which wasn't even called IT then. Yeah. But the computers were bigger than this building. Sure. You know, that I was working the with. The mainframes. The, right. You weren't in the push the push uh, cards, were you? The, oh, uh, no, that was Al. Oh, was that? It was Al. <laughs> it's Al, because he worked for IBM. I met Al in the push card department. Yeah. <laughs> Got it. Got it. So I just, I started becoming pretty savvy with marketing of the software products. I was not the technical guru. I wasn't an engineer. I was that person in between the sales and the people creating everything. Connector. Yeah, the connector. And again, I love that part of my life. That was about, I'm going to say nine years, eight to nine years of my life. I went, started with this Videc company. My last job was with Hewlett Packard. Okay. So in between there, I had another company. I worked with Sperry Univac, which is Sperry. Maybe it's Unisys. It's Unisys. Okay. But again, I was in marketing and sales, did well. But I always had this thing that I really like Sundays would come around and I'd be like, oh, yeah. Sunday. Yeah. I hate the start of the week. And, mm-hmm. and I just knew that there was something else in me that I really wanted to do. Well, let's talk about it. Sure. Because it sounds like that that must have been the time where you started thinking about going and having your own business at that point. And I don't know, I don't have the details on the timing of it all, but I know you ended mm-hmm. up in Hershey at one mm-hmm. point. Mm-hmm. Is that the time that then when It was around that time, but I ha- I just want to go backwards sure. a little. Yeah. When I went to Penn State Harrisburg, right. I took a job because I was going to school full time and I took a job with a woman. Her name is Betty Aversa. Some people in the audience might know who she is, but she was. Oh, you do. Greg Aversa is still living, her husband, but Betty passed away a few years ago. But she was a huge, huge influence in my life because I started working at this small shop that Terry, maybe your mother used to go to. It was called One Potato, Two Potato. Mm. And it was this great little shop with kitchen, utensils, et cetera. But they started a cooking school with a chef Chef Milan. And in that cooking school, Betty asked if I would become the sous chef. The Josh? Yeah, the Josh. The Josh. Yes, the your- Josh. <laughs> and seriously, I started to do that during my time, the two years at Penn State. Okay. 
my passion became cooking. Became evident then. At oh, oh my gosh, yes. And then I started entertaining and having people over. So it was, you know, during those formative years in the 20s and 30s that I thought, oh my God, this is what I want to do. I want to entertain and I love people and I love to cook. Right. So, well, it's interesting for those of you that don't know, and if you've never been to Cornerstone Coffee House, it's kind of twofold to a degree. They've got the front of the house, which is the coffee house and all of the extras you can buy and the swag and the seats and, and the decor and the art and all of that stuff. And in the back, Sue runs a, a cooking class slash kitchen that you do a little bit of uh, a little bit of catering out of, but once a month or maybe twice a month, they have a, a chef, a local chef come in and do a cooking class. I was a part of the first one of those this past December. My wife convinced me we got to go do this. She loves to do it. And I have to tell you, it was fantastic. We actually cooked the whole menu for our family at uh, Christmas. So it was great. But so that makes sense. Tying into your passion for food, you kind of matriculated towards Hershey and then all of a sudden came full circle to Cornerstone. But go ahead. I love the way you put that. And by the way, the local chef, I had, I would be remiss if I didn't say who he is. Yes. His name is Chuck Laporta. Yes. Chef Laporta. He has been with us for the 20 years that we have been running this cooking class. And he, well, I don't have to say it. You no. know it. it he is fantastic. by far the best, most entertaining chef. He should be on national TV. He was extraordinary at filling the gaps of time between me eating and what's next on my plate. And he'd tell little stories from Italy and his mom and how he did this and, you know, how he usually does it this way. And so I got a lot of information that I otherwise wouldn't have gotten. And it was a two hours, two and a half hours. Mm -hmm. yeah. And it flew by. It was fantastic. Okay. I enjoyed Thank all you. of it. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks. Yeah. Okay, so you started the, doing that in college. Yep. You were involved in IT, as we call it. And then yep. tell me about the day that you just said, mm, I think I'm done. Mm -hmm. What did that day look like? So I can't say it was a day. Okay. But there was, Al was running an ad agency. He had the para agency in Hershey. And across the street from that was a shop that had been there for maybe seven or eight years called Breads and Cheese Breads of Hershey. Okay. And... It had been a franchise that was started in Stone Harbor. It's still there. Mm. But these two women owned it. And I would go in there, you know, and buy my cheese and my bread. And I always loved it. I love going in. To this day, I love going into mm. places like that. And I said to Al one day, I said, you know, if you ever talk to the owners, see if they're ever interested in selling. So Al told them, and literally within one week. Mindy and Kim, I think it was. <laughs> no, that was here. Oh, no, it's, oh that's right. Yes, that's, right. Yeah, that was Cornerstone. Okay. This was Fran and Lisa. Fern. Fern and Lisa. And Lisa. It was a mother-daughter. And they, a week later said, we'll sell. Wow. So it was sort of that quick that it did happen. And I can say at this time, just a learning lesson, it was Truly a learning experience for me because I thought, oh, thank God I don't have to wear nylons and high heels and suits and I can. I can work half days because I'm the owner. Yeah. Right. 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 Any 12 hours, right? Oh, my gosh. That was a wake up call for me. Yeah. But I can say within a year, all of a sudden it turned around for me. I mean, the business was successful from the get-go. We made it even better. You know, my great thing about me is I can take a place and tweak it. I can make it better. 
ideas are constantly flowing from my head. How can I make this better? How can I improve? What's a new thing we can do? Well, that's one of my questions, like as far as your success is concerned, and we could talk a little bit about it. I mean, I think there's over a million small businesses in Pennsylvania and 40% of them are owned by women. And out of those 40%, only five or 6% of those make 20 years. So you've made 25 years, obviously. And so there's got to be a secret sauce there. Mm-hmm. And it's different for different people. It's different for different businesses. But, you know, tell me what that is. You, you know, you, I always ask the question, did you make big changes when you came here? Or did you make little tweaks? Or was it a combination of everything plus your personality and how you got involved with the community? The last part is so true. So... Up until, like, I was, I think, 36 or 37 when I started here at Cornerstone. You mentioned it earlier. It was Mindy and Kim, the two original owners who started it in 94. I came in 99. And, you know, what did I do? Yes, initially, I sort of tweaked things. And then I started adding things because... When I first came, they really weren't doing a lunch. You know, my thoughts were, what can I do to bring people in all day long? Right. And I had that experience at Breads and Cheese that I could bring here. But Just, just to back up uh-huh. before you keep sure. going, how, how long we had Breads and Cheese? Breads and Cheese we had for nine and a half Nine years. and a half years. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Yep. Fantastic. Go ahead. It was great. And by the way, Breads and Cheese was great. I honestly, this sounds crazy because the reason I've bought breads and cheese was because I wanted to get away from that world I had been in, the IT world. When I left breads and cheese, you really didn't have much of a holiday. Easter, Christmas, Thanksgiving, you can just wipe that off my slate because we worked. It was crazy. People who own food businesses get it. But the reason I sold was I wanted to go back to the world of oh, IT, IT because I thought, oh yeah, I want to All have. Right. Okay, oh, we're on. Yes, right. I really, I wanted to dress up again. We took off for probably seven or eight months, Alan yeah. and I did, deciding what we wanted yeah. to do. And I was offered some jobs. I couldn't take them. I just couldn't take them. Now, and I realized. Was, was, I know Al's a couple years older than yep. you, but was, was he retired at that point? Or no. Doing something different? Nope. He was like, hey, let's. Let's quit together. Let's figure it out together. Okay. So he, no, he actually, he sold his ad agency about five years into our tenure at Breads and Cheese because I said to him, I said, I can't do this. You know, I had people to help me, but not, you know, that solid person to be with me. So he came in and started working with us and he, you know, has helped me from then on. He's been my sidekick, even though... A lot of people don't know who he is. He's behind me running the engine at all times. This episode of Grind to Growth to Greatness is brought to you by Terry Barr. Distinctive real estate. Advising families across Pennsylvania and Northern Virginia for over 15 years. Visit the website at terrybarrealestate.com. So you sell, was it breads and cheese? Breads and cheese. Breads and cheese. And you take seven months off. You figure, okay, I'm going to go back in IT. That's something in you said, I can't do it. I, I need my freedom, right? And then this opportunity came about. Yep. Tell me about that transition, the whole process. If you say, oh, well, I've run a business. I've been in it for 10 years. Uh, let me go buy this one and start over here. What right. What happened? I know there was some some hurdles there and some disappointments there. And eventually you got where you're at, but how did that transition happen? 
So it was interesting. I know the staff who was working here at the time were scared to death that Al and I were taking over. Yeah. So it's a balancing act for us. We obviously kept the ones that were really good. Sure. The other ones, you know, left on their own. But um, it was an interesting transition because it was totally different. It breads and cheese. People wanted to see my face. Yeah. It was a more of an intimate you know, the sales were bigger with one person right. coming in versus here. I want a cup of coffee and out I go. So here, I never, <laughs> I'm going to admit something. Oh. So if you come in and ever ask me to make you a cappuccino or a latte, don't. <laughs> I kind of love a bread. That's right. No, I, I, at Breads and Cheese, I did all of that. Right. Here, you know, there was so many other things you had to do. So I started tweaking like lunches and and over the years, we have expanded so much with our breakfasts, mm -hmm. our lunch, our midday things. We, in the meantime, as we've already talked about, we opened up a culinary kitchen. Yeah. We bought the building at the same time. We you started the building when you opened the culinary kitchen or when you yes, bought Yes, okay. but we bought the building and it was Al's idea because yeah. at the time we had this guy who was our manager, Sean, who graduated from culinary school, okay. Johnson and Wales. And we said, well, why don't we do a build out in this one room that you and I are sitting in right? and we'll have you cook. Yeah. So that's sort of how it started. Sean left within like six months, mm. but Shelly Laporta, chef's wife, came in one day and said, I have somebody who could cook for you. Mm. Like, who? And that was the luckiest day of my life. Right? How about that? Right. So, you know, here we are 20 years fast forward and Chef is still here and I would never have anyone else yeah. in our classes. So there's a couple little nuggets that I want to pull out of that, what we just talked about. One was, and of course I did a lot of research before I came in, so I wanted to know the history, but I know you had some trouble getting some financing at some point. Mm -hmm. And I wanted you to talk a little bit more about that from... Mm -hmm. Not from, oh, you know, we didn't have enough referrals, but from a woman's perspective in that period of time, tell me what you went through and how you, you came out the other end. So when I first wanted to buy breads and cheese, keep in mind, I was successful at what I had done. I was in my mid-30s. And when I went to the bank, they, of course, asked for my husband yeah. to be with me. So I went back again right. with Al. And we owe so I want, but uh -huh. I want to know. Uh huh. Yeah. After okay. that first meeting, right? And they said, "Ah, that's great. We like yeah. the fact that you're successful. Where's right. your husband?" Right. Tell me what went through your mind there. I mean, yeah. I hear about that in history, a but lot. but here's a perfect day mm -hmm. example. Mm -hmm. You know, Supera Cornerstone Coffee mm -hmm. House that experienced that. Tell me mm -hmm. about that moment. So I think for me. I'm so tenacious that I knew that no matter what, Terry, I was going to get it done because I really wanted this business yeah. and I did what I had to do. I never felt like, oh, or me. Yeah. I couldn't because my whole life that I had lived my work life, I never felt as though I was judged as a woman except for one time. Mm. And I think because of my strong personality and, you know, how I fought for what I wanted, I was willing to do that. I didn't think you would have been the well, me either. I no. would think you've been more like the fist up in the middle of the, you know, the parking lot. So sure they heard that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I was not happy, you know, and I'll tell you the ending of that story. 
my mother and father had to co-sign it. Is that right? Yeah. So, now we got them off about two years later, yeah. but it was ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. But I tell women, don't stop. Find that money. Find a way. Find somebody who will invest in you. Do it the right way. But Of course. Yeah, of course. Don't take no for an answer. My brother-in-law at one point said to me, Sue, there are other banks in this town. Right. Go look around. You don't have to go to that bank. But can I tell you, fast forward nine years yeah. when I decide I want, Alan, I want to buy it. No, buy the business. Just business. the business in 99. Now, here we've had a successful business in Hershey. We own this, you know, a great house in Mount Gretna. It has lots of equity. Yeah. The bank that we had worked with the whole way through said, ugh, sorry, you're going to have to get more co-signing. I mean, it was unbelievable. And you know what? That's what my brother-in-law gave me that advice and said, go to another bank. The bank that was down the street was yeah. Pennsylvania State Bank. Yeah. Met Jeff Myers there, yeah. went to Centric, loved that man. And that day, he literally that day, he said, Oh, yeah, we'll lend you the money. Yeah. It was just amazing. So don't take no is an answer and get the right advice. Get some good mentors. Yeah. And that's one, that one of my questions. That's a good segue. You know, most business people, including myself, including anybody I've ever met that's done anything in business, have had any success, will tell you, you know, usually they will tell you, I'm not the smartest guy in the room. You know, I hire all these smart people. I get all this great advice. And then I make a decision. So as a business person, as an owner, as someone that runs a place, who, who do you go to for that mentoring? Who do you go to to talk about something that maybe lands on your lap that you go, hmm, I'm not sure I know what the answer is here. So there are two people that are right at the top of my mind. Mm -hmm. um, one of them is Bob Hortensio. Mm -hmm. He was our neighbor and we became friends, Angela and Bob and Al and I. And I have had the fortunate experience of talking to Bob on several occasions over the past, you know, 20 years sure. of year. Yeah. And he has helped to guide me. He would be there anytime I would ask him. And also John Dame from Vistage. I don't know him. John is with the Dame. Yeah. And I went to a mini course of his about yeah. 12, 15 years ago. And he has been so kind giving me advice because I really didn't have a mentor during most of my time in business mm -hmm. until the last 15 years, let's say. Yeah. And I didn't even know the questions to ask or yeah. how to do it. I just intuitively mm -hmm. did a lot of things. And it's the one thing I can say that I regret that I didn't have a mentor yeah. along the advice. way. And now every so often, my friend, Sharon Ryan, who owns Dasher, very successful business person. Yeah. I really use her as a sounding board a lot now. Yeah. So mentoring is really important. So you've been at Cornerstone for 25 years. You've built the business. Let's call it slowly. It's been successful a long time, but you've done some different things. You know, you put the culinary kitchen in, you bought the building. I know you've changed decor a couple of times. One of the things that I that I always notice is you have fresh art up. That's a big part of who you are, I'm assuming. So you could talk about that. But there's local artists from around. And you're a Mount Gretna person. You just told us that. And so that's a very artistic place. When did you feel, once you started Cornerstone, 
started to grow it. At what point did you feel like, I think I've figured this out. I think I've created enough relationships that if I don't screw this up, that people are going to come. You know, the old saying from the movie, if you build it, they will come and you've built it up. When, what, what was that tipping point for you? Can you identify that period of time? So <laughs> I'm laughing because Terry, I live on the edge every day. I'm always thinking, oh my gosh, if I don't do this, I'm going to fail. Right. But having said that, and I, that's always kept me on the edge, always put me on my toes. Yeah. Don't ever assume anything. Yeah. You know, don't ever assume. And it's always been my motto, but I can tell you that once I started working with now my general manager, Nicole Miller, mm -hmm. and seeing the combination of the two of us and what our strengths are and how we work off of each other, about that time, I'm going to say within the past three to five years, is when I started to realize, hey, we're going to make it. Yeah. You know, we're going to do well because... The two of us together. Isn't that funny? 21 years later and usually. 21 years later. I think we're going to make it. Yep. No, I know. Yeah. It drives my husband nuts. Well, and I, I tell you what, you know, I relate that to my subway years. I was in subway for 15 years and I never felt like I made it. Uh, you know, I'd have great days and great weeks and great months and great years. And I just felt like, gosh, if, if somebody messes around with one of my customers, I'm, you know, I'm going to go downhill kind of thing. But mm -hmm. it's interesting. Most entrepreneurs, I think, feel that way. They're always on the cutting edge. They're always like, yeah, I have success, but it could be gone tomorrow kind of thing. So that that's interesting right. you say that. So three or four or five years ago is really when you felt like, hey, I I think we're going to, we're going to get there. Yeah. And I, and I know Nicole, she seems like a, a kindred spirit, different with kindred, yep. you know? Yep. And she's talked about how you guys get along. She's been with you how long? 14? Um, I think she just mentioned this will be her 13th year coming up. She started, she was at Messiah and worked here part-time for like two years. Mm -hmm. And then she came back here about 10 years ago mm -hmm. and she just started working as a barista. Right. And one day she just came and said, I think I could manage this place for mm -hmm. you. And she has just, you know, she and I have different minds, but they're compatible. Mm -hmm. And she has these strengths that I do not have, Carrie. I mean, if you ask me to do social media, I'll sit there and look cross-eyed at you. Right. But I know that how important it is and I know what it is, but please don't ask me to do it. And mm -hmm. Nicole comes up with ideas that I'm just like, God, that's a great, you just yeah. hit that. How did you think of that? Yeah. You know, and she and I sort of work off of each other that way. We're, it's constant. Yes. Besides the business, what do you, mm -hmm. what do you feel like your, your biggest contribution to your world, to Camp Hill, to mm -hmm. your, your circle? What do you feel like your biggest contribution will be when somebody looks back and go, mm -hmm. Supero is this? Mm -hmm. You'll still be, still be with us, but just when you're not in Cornerstone Coffee. Right. <laughs> what would you like your biggest contribution to be? Uh, I'd like to think that, you know, I become a leader in the community, someone who cares about this community. And I really do, you know, with the time that I have been with the Downtown Campbell Association, every month, as you mentioned, putting art up on the wall, you know, people knowing that we care about the arts. We care about 
the people who work here. I mean, I hope that most of the people who've worked here over the years, and there have been many, would have, you know, something very positive. I'd like to think that I changed some people's lives mm. because of the caring, even though we're the owners, the caring that we would give to them over the time that they worked here. I, it's so important for these kids to know that. And we've had, you know, many of them. Yeah. And I think I, I feel the same way. It's funny because I've been out of the restaurant business for a long time. I've been out of the restaurant business for 25 years. And I have people that come back and that I run into on occasion that had worked for me and say, oh, do you remember me? And I'm like, ah, you look familiar. Tell me, you know, you're 40 something now. I used to work for you at Subway. Thank you so much. And I had one recently, <laughs> recently, a couple of years ago, same kind of thing. I was at a restaurant. He was working there. He was an assistant manager or something. He came up, Mr. Barr, he said, do you remember me? And I'm like, I'm really sorry. I don't forgive me. Can you remind me? He said, my name is such and such. And I said, I still don't remember. I used to work for you. I'm like, oh, really? How was that experience? He goes, you fired me. <laughs> and I was like, I did? He's like, I deserved it. I mean, let's, I deserve to be fired. But I just wanted to say hi, because that was my first job and you fired me. And my parents said I needed to learn a lesson and, and, and I learned it, you know. So it's interesting to see those people come back, maybe not in the midst of their employment with you, because, you know, young people don't typically appreciate what you do for them at that age. But it's fun to get those, those interactions after the fact, but yeah. So you just, you want to empower kids and, and have an effect in their lives. And I know I've read a couple of your statements and different news articles about your desire to empower women to be someone that they can go to for mentoring, I guess you would call it. So a couple more questions. One of the things that I think affected you from me looking and affected most people in your, your type of business was the pandemic. You know, that was every hundred years we have one of those. And that fell in 2020. And I've been coming here for 25 or 30 years and I could see how it affected you. Can you give me some personal anecdotes or how that period of time over that two year period or so went for you and what you did to mitigate it? And to come out on the other side, at least successful, at least still above water, because a lot of people didn't. How, how did that go for you folks? Mm -hmm. So it actually went as well as it could for us. We came out on top for sure. But Terry, I had a team surrounding me, including Nicole, that, you know, just backed us up. You know, we knew we had to pivot quick. One day we were open. The next day, if you weren't doing takeout, delivery, curbside, you couldn't do anything. You couldn't open your door to people. So we had a great team here. There were, at the time when it started, there were like 20, 22 people here. When the pandemic hit, we went down to, I think, seven or eight people. Our key people stayed some of them chose not to. They were too scared. I totally understood. So you allowed you allowed everybody to stay if they could. If or they did, could, did you get? Did you? Part it, out we did stay? part ways with the person who was running our catering. Right. We couldn't use. You know, we weren't doing catering. Uh, obviously, our cooking classes shut down, but we could deliver to the curbside, to the parking lot, 
right outdoors. We just did stuff. You know, when I think back to that almost four years ago, I'm so proud of everyone who was here, but even more so, I am so grateful for the customers who continued to come in. They would come in day after day supporting us, even if it was just a small cup of coffee. It was so important to this community to continue to have Cornerstone here. Mm. And it made me so proud that people felt that strongly about what we did and what we were doing. And again, when I mentioned how, you know, I'm pretty tenacious to work with and for or whatever, but when I think back, I I just did it. I was, I was actually for about two months, I was the baker Mm. because the the bakers left. Right. They didn't want to work. And I, again, I understood totally, you know, people were scared. Everybody had a different way of dealing with the pandemic. And so you just do what you do. I'm just so strong. I'm just strong in my life and what I firmly believe I should be doing. Yeah, that was, I mean, that was a weird time because Mm. it threatened a lot of people, Mm. literally their lives Mm -hmm. and then their livelihoods. Yes. I know I spent 14 or 15 weeks inside. We weren't allowed to do anything. Right. So it was a 14 weeks and I Generally, this is where I I started even this idea of a podcast and doing things online. I was doing Facebook Lives and I was talking about a lot of different things. I was talking about religion. I was talking about, I learned how to cook during that period of time. So I was cooking on camera. I was talking about all these, talking about real estate, doing all this stuff. And it, it was amazing because after the fact that a lot of people say, oh, I enjoyed during the pandemic, I would watch your cooking thing. Oh. And I didn't know anything about it. I was just like looking at a YouTube thing when I was going through this and I had it on camera and it was kind of hilarious, but. That's great. So that was a tough time, but I'm, we're glad you're here for sure Thank because you. I, you know, I come here on a daily. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So over the period of your life and let's call it your professional life, have there been any major failures that you can point to and go, you know, this was a time where I just totally screwed up or I totally failed here Mm -hmm. and what lessons maybe that were you able to learn from that period of time? Yes, there was a very, very tough time and it really had nothing to do with this business right here, Cornerstone and Camp Hill, but back in 2007, 2008, around that time, we decided two things. One was that we were going to open up another Cornerstone mm. house, which I just uh, seemed like a nay. progression, right? Everybody does it. You know, look at Starbucks, you know, but even smaller businesses, they do it. I just don't think that that's at least part of what who I am. I knew I had a feeling it wasn't going to be successful because so much of what Cornerstone had been 15 years ago was really predicated on me. Yeah. Not that I did it all here, but, you know, me and me in the community and et cetera. So that failed Mm. after, I'm going to say, a year, a year and a half. It just failed. Where did did you do that? Over near where uh, Metro Bank was there, near the Harrisburg East Mall. Yeah. It's called Techport. Yeah. I think it still is. Exactly where that is. And um, that was not good. That was brutal. And we owed a lot of money to a bank. And then the other one was when uh, some people came to us and wanted us to invest in their cheesecake company. Mm. And that was an even bigger investment. investment. And that failed. Mm. Now, again, it had nothing to do with 
quarter sure. here. Sure. But it certainly affected Sue and Al Para. Yeah. So tell me about either of those mm-hmm. or both of those. What did you learn from those those two failures that maybe you could share that maybe you should have done differently? Mm-hmm. As a couple, obviously you made those decisions as a couple. I can just share that, you know, no matter what the hard times are, and like honestly, I thought we were never gonna get out of it. I just thought this is it. But again, I mean, I just have that get up and go and I'm going to go every day and continue to do what I do best. And I got through it. You know, eventually I got through it. And when Al and I talk about it now, it's, you know, so in the past and it was just a part of our lives. You know, life went on and I'm thankful for that and that, you know, we've landed more on our feet than ever. So, yeah, that's amazing. Final two questions I always ask everybody. One's a positive, one's a negative. Who's your favorite author or what's your favorite book you've read in the last year? I'm reading right now a book by Nathan Harris called The Sweetness of Water. I've always loved Richard Russo. I love Sally Rooney. She's a young writer and I love her perspective on things and on young people. So those would be three that I just love. Right. Those authors. And I'm as I said, I'm reading The Sweetness of Water right now, uh, which goes back to the Civil War. And the last question is, what keeps you up at night? I can't really say there's much. Like, I sleep through the night. You know what I do think about now that everybody knows how old I am? Yeah. I do think about getting older and tired. where I'm at. Because, you know, here I am at the age of 70. And, you know, you do start thinking about it. But I continue to do what I do and keep active and I add on to those things. So, yeah. Is there a next chapter for Sue and Al? Sure. The next chapter eventually, you know, within the next few years. It's a bonus question. We'll be selling. <laughs> we'll sell the business. Yeah. And I can't say to who or to yeah, what. of course, but, um, what, but then what? Then I think, you know, personally, I'd love to travel, don't okay. we all, as we get to this age. Sure. But I I love certain things in my life that I now actually can do because I have people like Nicole right. Miller here. Yeah. And she makes it easy for me to stay at home, to read a book, to walk, to do my strength training. Right. And so I already feel like I'm in that next chapter. I really do, Terry. I feel like I've great. been in that for about the past two years. That's great. Mm-hmm. Well, that's that's amazing. I know I, as I spent time here, a career right after my subway days when I owned my subways was finance. And I had to take a pretty heady test uh, at age 40, which was a series seven for financial, financial stuff. And um, so I spent, I spent about three months here on the daily, seven or eight hours a day, just studying. And the thing that brings me back to that moment was not that I was here for seven or eight hours a day, but because you let me be here for seven or eight hours a day. And that is one thing that I see here is it's the community comes, they feel very comfortable being here. Every morning when I come up, there's the same cast of characters, whether they're back here in a table of eight or out there in a table of eight, and they're chatting it up and uh, chatting from from politics to travel to whatever. But then there's the the people that have never been here that's that just keep coming back once they find you. And it's so it's a very relationship oriented place with lots of different views, lots of different people, whether they're political, religious, whatever. Everybody seems to land here 
and nobody seems uncomfortable here. Is that a fair, is that a yeah, fair statement? Very fair. Yeah. I've heard that from others and yeah. just from people who say how comfortable they feel when they're here. They can either be quiet, yeah. they can talk, they can meet people. Yeah. People have met here and have gotten married. You know, it's just, it is such a community place. And when I started this business, I had no idea that that was going to be the biggest thing for me. And you create that must be just a real blessing Uh, for you to know that you've created this environment that's so conducive to Camp Hill. It really is. And to the region. Yeah. You know, I would be remiss if I, if I don't bring up one thing Please to do. just help some people, not just women, but men and women, yeah. is one of the most important things I found is to make yourself available to the community, mm. to the region, be on a board, be on a committee. It's the way that helped create you know, I would not have met half the people that come in here probably had I not been involved in doing the things that I did. You know, I work a very busy day, but I always made time to work in downtown community here in Camp Hill for the region with the Critic Board. Right. Just won an award. Uh, yeah, I did. Yes, you yeah. did. Yeah. yeah, I uh you won the Catalyst Award in 2022. Yes, a year ago. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. That was pretty special. Yeah. So, you know, just but that's what makes this place rock and roll yeah. here is because of what you do extra. Yeah. You can't just assume that people are gonna come in and know you. You know, you have to get to know them. Some of the most successful people here in Camp Hill come to Cornerstone Coffee House. I know of at least two mayors that have been here. I know a bunch of business owners that are very successful, not only in Camp Hill, but in central Pennsylvania and beyond. And it's the kind of place where you'd never know it unless you know their face. You'd never know it unless you know who they are. You can come here and be a student or be a a retiree or whatever, and somehow you're just going to fit in. And that's what I love about Cornerstone Coffee House. It's just been a place where I can almost call home. I feel like you're a friend of mine. The only time we ever talk is when I'm here, but I always feel like you're my friend. And, you know, Al comes in, he wanders in, grabs his small cup of coffee and rolls around the place and says hi to everybody. And it's just kind of one of, it's kind of like uh, cheers in Boston, you know, to me. So I want to thank you for taking the time. I know it's been, you're a busy person and and the holidays have gotten by us. So we've had some time to sit, but I want to thank you for sitting down and kind of sharing some of the details of your life and your journey from where you were to where you are and where you're going. And uh, I just hope that you're here for a long, long time. And thanks for spending the time on Grind Growth and Greatness. Terry, thank you. And you are truly a friend of mine. Too. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you. All right, folks, tune in next week for our next episode. We have a great guest, so don't miss it. Grind to Growth to Greatness. Have a great day. See ya. You've been listening to the Grind to Growth to Greatness podcast. Our passion is to talk to the brightest entrepreneurs, CEOs, creators, athletes, anyone who's made it, and dive in to their struggles, their successes, and their secrets. We hope you've enjoyed the show. If you did, make sure to like, rate, and review. We'll be back soon, but in the meantime, you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at grind to growth to greatness. See you next time.